0: Matthew chapter 10, we're looking this morning at verses 16 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, Jesus says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Nor is a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Let us pray. Our Father, we come to you now as to ask for your grace and for your wisdom as we study this passage. Father, we pray that you would uh, impress on our hearts the truths that you have for us here, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Persecution against Christians is a reality, no matter what country you inhabit and no matter in what age you live, because our culture... Because our nation has been so strongly influenced over the years by Christian thought, Uh, we have been spared perhaps the more overt uh, or violent manifestations of persecution. But you know as well as I do that that Christian consensus is rapidly fading. That Reformation impulse that has affected our country for so many years is dying out. And even in the good old USA, true Christians and the church of the Lord Jesus has always had its detractors and always had its enemies. Well, as we look at this passage before us, Jesus speaks about this whole matter of persecution. And he's in the midst of of instructions to his twelve as he's about to send them out on a mission, a mission specifically focused on Israel, on the Jews. And as we saw last time, those words applied very narrowly to his disciples, to the particular mission on which he was sending them out. As we come to these words, they still apply, but Jesus broadens what he says to them in such a way that it's obvious this doesn't apply just to this preaching mission. He's looking ahead. He's looking to bigger things. For instance, he mentions their interaction with the Gentiles, things that would come later. And so to that degree, what Jesus is saying here certainly pertains to us as well, although again, he's still addressing the twelve and preparing them to go out. But he addresses some concerns that will come up even beyond this one mission that he's sending them out for. And so, in short, what we see in this passage is that Jesus wants us to be prepared for persecution. He wants us to anticipate it, to know how to handle persecution when it comes. Now, I don't know what your experience has been, one way or the other. What kind of, uh, what kind of flack you've taken for being a Christian. I dare say none of you have suffered physically, although it's possible for being a Christian. Uh, nevertheless, um, we've all, I think, experienced to one degree or another, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, uh, some interference, some uh, hostility even from various quarters. Well, what are we to do with that? Well, Jesus addresses that here. He wants us to be prepared for persecution. And basically, giving his disciples uh, some instructions, he gives us the same instructions that we need to consider. And the first, he says, is, Uh, In an introductory way, prepare for persecution, prepare for persecution. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, when he says behold, I mean, to us, that sounds like, you know. Archaic, And it is, in a sense. We don't say things like, behold, today. But it is useful in the Bible. In fact, some translations don't even translate it. But I think it is useful because it is a way of drawing attention to something. When when someone in the Bible says, behold, it's saying, listen up, pay attention. This is important. Or this is surprising. Or you need to take heed. And that's exactly what this is indicating here. Jesus says, behold, pay attention now. If you don't get anything, get this part. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. As disciples, the twelve may have been all excited about going out. And Jesus says, wait a minute, listen. Here's the image you need to have of yourselves as you go out. Not some grand triumphalism. But you need to picture a pasture, picture a wood, wooded area. And there's some sheep there. And they're huddled together. And all around them in the woods... All around them in that pasture is a ring of wolves, and those wolves are hungry, and you are those sheep. That's the image, Jesus says, that we need to have in mind. Now, this may differ from what you get on TBN, with its uh, overrealized eschatology, which is only to say uh, a certain triumphalism, as if the end has already come. Well, it hasn't, and yes, the gospel is victorious, and yes, Christ has won the victory, but uh, But it doesn't mean everyone's going to like us and everyone's going to be our friend. Jesus says, this is the image, sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So, he says, be two things, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Now, the serpent, of course, we know in Genesis 3 was more crafty. Uh, Well, we tend to think of that in a sinister sense, and certainly in the Garden of Eden it was. The craftiness was used to tempt Adam and Eve to sin against God. But the serpent had a reputation for a certain degree of uh, shrewdness, uh, that craftiness may be put to good uses, uh, thought of as a clever animal. then that's, if in effect, what Jesus is saying here. You need to be wise as serpents. In our context, we might say wise as owls. Owls, for some reason in our context, seem to have this... This uh, aura of wisdom. Well, Jesus is saying you need to be shrewd, you need to be wise, you need to be sharp as serpents. However, that is to be counterbalanced by you need to be innocent as doves. Now, doves also, uh, for biblical in biblical times, brought up different images. In fact, in Hosea seven, uh, they're, brought, they're used as a, as a picture of what's silly. Uh, or or not quite altogether, but part of that also has to do with a certain harmlessness, a certain gentleness, a certain innocence uh, or purity. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We need both. On the one hand, we don't want to be just the shrewd, conniving, scheming serpent, but we also don't want to be the gullible, naive dove. But we need the best of both if we're going to survive as sheep in the midst of wolves, because we can't take them on directly. No sheep ever want to battle against a wolf, uh, wolf. So we need to both have our wits and our integrity if we're going to survive in this hostile context in which we find ourselves. So that's the first thing Jesus tells his disciples, is don't go out there thinking everyone's just going to fall at your feet and think you're wonderful. They won't. And we need to have the same mentality. Uh, now, it's true, we may not live in the heart of some Islamic country that is officially committed against Christians. Uh, we do live in a society, and thank the Lord that we do, where we have legal protections as believers. But we also need to be careful that we don't think that, therefore, we're okay, that no one out there is against us. We, even in the United States, are sheep in the midst of wolves, and we need to do everything we can to be both wise and shrewd on the one hand uh, and innocent and full of integrity on the other if we're going to make it in this world. So the first thing Jesus says is to prepare for persecution, to recognize, in other words, that as Christians we live in a hostile environment. There are enemies about us, and we would be foolish to think otherwise. The second instruction that Jesus has for us know the sources of persecution. Be aware of those avenues from which persecution might come at us so as not to be caught off guard. And Jesus goes on to list a number of them here. Uh, one area, uh, a huge area in which religious in which persecution comes is from the religious establishment. Uh, whether you uh, look in the days of the first century uh, with the persecution of Christians from the Jews, uh, whether you look at um, the days of the Reformation and afterward persecution of Protestant believers by the Roman Catholic Church, uh, even the days of the Scottish covenanters who suffered and were put to death at the hands of professing Christians, uh, to those who suffer uh, at the hands of Islamists, uh, because they are believers or for whatever reason, uh, much it is true that much persecution has been carried out in the name of religion and even in the name of Christ or Christendom. but I, I would be I would be quick to add that uh, persecution generally does not come from those who are Christians. It may come from Christendom, but it does not come from true biblical born-again, regenerate believers. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. The word for courts is the word Sanhedrin's. And we've heard of the Sanhedrin, the preeminent Jewish court. Well, he's referring to other courts who are also known by that name, Sanhedrin's plural, and synagogues. Synagogue, of course, was a place of worship, a place of instruction, but it was also a place of of punishment. And sometimes, as Paul mentions, receiving the 40 lashes minus one, the 39 lashes, sometimes that was administered in the synagogue or under the authority of the synagogue. And so persecution can come from religious entities or in the name of religion, and we need to recognize that. Religion or uh, religious persecution is one avenue. Uh, government is certainly another. Look at verse uh, eighteen. Jesus says, "You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles." Now, Jesus is envisioning some of what we see in the Book of Acts. Some of which comes much later, not necessarily in this first preaching tour he sends them out on, but he's envisioning the day when they are dragged before the governors and kings, ruling authorities, the Gentiles. Uh, and we see that. In the book of Acts, uh, it's interesting as we saw when we studied Acts several years ago, um, The Roman government, for the most part, was fairly tolerant of Christians and provided protections for them. In fact, Paul appeals to the Roman government. He is not afraid to make use of his rights as a Roman citizen to ensure protection for himself and his companions and and an open door for the gospel. However, later, when uh, Rome began to see Christianity as something separate from the Jews, at first they viewed it as part of... As a sect within Judaism and it fell under the protections there, uh, but later various persecutions broke out against Christians in different parts of the Roman Empire. So persecution can come from religious entities. Uh, certainly can come from a official or not so official government action or even inaction in the face of other persecution. Uh, it is worth noting here that Jesus promises in verse 19, to these men who uh, were certainly intelligent men, uh, and, but yet not used to speaking uh, before such as governors and kings, he promises in verse 19 the help of the Holy Spirit. Do not be anxious how you are to speak, what you are to say. It's not; It will be given to you in that hour. It's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. By the way, that's the only time that phrase, the Spirit of your Father, occurs in the whole Bible, obviously a reference to the Holy Spirit. But the assurance, not only the spirit, but that the Lord God is their Father. And when they find themselves in these circumstances, Jesus says, "Don't don't worry about speaking in such lofty environs." And in fact, sometimes we read, for example, of Tertullus in uh, in Acts, uh, who was a paid uh, advocate an orator on behalf of uh, someone and they would ha- they would hire people to speak for them much as you might hire an attorney today people who are trained to speak in those kind of environments and the disciples are thinking well who can we, who are we to speak in the courts of kings and and Jesus says well, don't be anxious the spirit will help you say what you need to say in those moments now this verse verse 19 has been a refuge of delinquent or uh, neglectful preachers and Sunday school teachers and so on through the ages. Jesus is not uh, encouraging indolence here. Do not prepare. The Holy Spirit will give you what you should say when the Sunday school hour arrives or when the worship service arises. Uh, he's not speaking of uh, providing for our indolence. But when we are placed in a position where we need to bear witness to Christ, uh, perhaps uh, without any uh, or very little forward notice, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit will help you say what you need to say. So religion, government, uh, another and and strikingly sad uh, area of persecution is that which comes from family. Uh, verse 21, Jesus says, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them... Put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Persecution, uh, perhaps of the most painful kind, arises from our own family members. I remember the student at Reformed Seminary uh, who was there when I was, who had converted to Christ out of Judaism uh, and had had no connections with his family or no relationship with his family for some time because when he became a Christian, they considered him to have died, and he no longer existed, and they cut him off. Um, We hear of various cases of persecution uh, among uh, Islamic families where a member converts to Christ and the family cuts them off or, worse, uh, carries out violence against them. Uh, The the very source uh, from which we would expect love and support becomes an avenue from which the most violent hatred flows in family persecution. But then also just general persecution. Look at verse 22. Uh, Jesus says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, all there obviously doesn't mean every person without exception. Uh, it's simply not true. But Jesus is saying by all kinds of people. Everywhere you go, there will be people uh, and all kinds of people at all different levels of society or all different ethnic backgrounds or whatever uh, who oppose you, who hate you for my name's sake. Now, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but again, it is because of our identification with Jesus. So we need to prepare for persecution. We need to be aware of these sources from which persecution might come, whether it's religious establishment, whether it's the government, whether it's our own family or family members, and even just people at large, society at large. And by the way, some of the persecution against Christians, even in the first and second centuries, wasn't officially endorsed by Rome. It was a more local thing. And Rome would be inactive. Now, there was official persecution too, but sometimes, uh, and even today, for, for example, in, in various places where it breaks out, it's more of a local thing, and the government simply isn't uh, too anxious to act hurriedly to put it down. Uh, the third instruction that Jesus has for us here is when persecution does come, we need to respond properly to persecution. Look at verse 22, second part of the verse. Jesus says, But. You know, after enumerating these sources, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. How do we respond? Well, Jesus gives us three instructions here. One is to endure. To endure. Uh, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, we are to endure it. We're to be tough. We're to be patient. We're to be long-suffering. Uh, we are to endure it, and I think implicit in that is to endure it without retaliation. You recall what Jesus said, or rather what Paul said in Romans 12, 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, despitefully use you we are to endure in the sense that we are to put up with it we are to absorb it we are not to return evil for evil but rather return good for evil but another way that we respond he says in verse 23 is to flee when they persecute you in one town flee to the next As Christians, we are not, as some early Christians made the mistake of doing, we are not to go out and look for persecution. We're not to go out and try to provoke opposition. Uh, We are not to go out and seek martyrdom. Jesus says when, when the temperature goes up and things get too hot, flee, leave, go away. Try, if you can, to escape the persecution, to get away from it. We're not out looking for a fight. We are to endure persecution when it comes, but we're not to be looking for it or provoking it or promoting it against ourselves. Verse uh, 22, the one we just looked at, said the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus isn't saying that just by going out and getting yourself martyred or something is is a way to ensure your salvation. That's a twisted Muslim teaching. Uh, what Jesus is saying is that the one who has endured to the end has demonstrated the reality of their faith, the genuineness of their regeneration. And so, yes, they're the kind of person who will be saved. They're not saved by any merit in enduring or in martyrdom. They're saved because they proved the genuineness of a real faith in Christ. So we're to flee. If we need to pack up our stuff and get out of town, we do it. But then the third way that we respond, Jesus says, is to press on. Look at what he says again, verse 23. Flee to the next town. He doesn't say endure, flee, go into hiding. He says flee to the next town. Continue your work, just move on. Now, we certainly see that illustrated in Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, where he he leaves one town and he goes to the next town. He knows what might await him there, but he continues, he presses on. And as believers, that's true for us. Uh, We don't fold our tents and go into hiding in the sense that we pull down our ministry. We, We reduce our witness. We may have to go into hiding for a time, but the point is we press on. In living the Christian life, we press on with our witness. Press on, flee to the next. But then the fourth thing that Jesus says, the fourth instruction he asks for his disciples and for us in verses 24 and 25 is to understand the reason for persecution. Why? You know? I mean, why the hostility? Well, Jesus is saying basically it's not you, it's me. Look at verse 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Who's the master? Jesus is. Who's the teacher? Jesus is. As his followers, are we above him? No. So look at what Jesus says, the second part of verse 25. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Beelzebul basically is the name for the devil remember earlier Jesus opponent said we well, cast out demons by the prince of demons. Well that's basically Beelzebul. the name has an interesting derivation it could mean you know kinds of things from Baal as lord to lord of the flies to lord of the high places uh, the Jews had a particular twist on it to make it uh, some ridiculous things but basically here by this point the way Jesus uses it is another reference to the devil. And Jesus says if they've called the master of the house the devil, in other words, someone to be opposed, someone who's wrong, how much more will they malign those of his household? In other words, if they hated Jesus, what makes you think they're going to like you? That's what he's saying. Why persecution? Well, basically it comes down to this. They hated Jesus. And if they see Jesus in you and you identify with Jesus, they will hate you too. That's unavoidable. It's inescapable. It's simply the reality. The world in its fallenness and its sinfulness reacts negatively to Jesus. It hates Jesus. It hated him when he was here, and it hates his followers ever since. And that's just the reality, and we are not above Jesus in that. And so we should not seek to avoid or to escape what Jesus himself endured. And that's the reason for persecution, and that's why Jesus goes back and speaks of those who are suffering... For his name's sake, verse twenty two. Again, we want to be careful that persecution doesn't come toward us because we're obnoxious. There have been plenty of people who have been persecuted and see themselves as persecuted for the sake of Christ, and it was actually because for the sake of the fact that they were just rude or they were obnoxious or they were tactless or they were uncaring. Uh, we need to make sure it's not so with us but that even with the best of Christ in us, in terms of loving others, in terms of kindness toward others, in terms of serving others, persecution will come because they hate Jesus. There will be those who oppose us. Second Timothy 3.12 tells us all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, while we don't provoke persecution, we also should not be surprised when it happens, whatever form that might take. Uh, In a roundabout way, we actually could be thankful for it, and that for a number of reasons. One, we can be thankful for persecution because it means that people see Christ in us and identify us with him. In other words, it's a good evidence of the genuineness, the reality of our faith. Uh, That they see Christ in us, that they know of Christ in us. Maybe if you're not experiencing any persecution, any negativity, any hostility at all, it's because people don't know you're a Christian. But if persecution comes, then we can take that, that there's evidence there of our identification with him. After all, nobody's going to put up with much persecution very long for someone whom they really don't love and trust. So we can thank the Lord for that. Second thing we can be thankful for in persecution is that we stand in a long and glorious train. Long and glorious heritage. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For, or because, your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're not the first to suffer a snide comment or snub for being a believer. Look at the history of the early church in the New Testament. Look at the history of the church ever since and realize that you stand with a magnificent company of people who have suffered ridicule or suffered scorn or suffered the loss of a job or suffered persecution and physical violence for the sake of Christ. We can be thankful for that. We can also be thankful because if you have suffered anything negative, anything painful, anything harmful for the sake of Christ, you have been given a great honor. You have been given a great honor. Acts chapter 5 verse 41, the disciples were brought before the court and they were warned not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They were flogged, they were whipped, and then they were sent out and it said they went their way rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What name? Well, the name of Jesus. They went out rejoicing because they had been given the honor of suffering dishonor for, among men for the name of Jesus. If you suffer anything painful, hurtful for the sake of Christ, give thanks to God because he has enabled you to bear a great honor, to be identified with Christ, and to have dishonor among men For the sake of Christ, which is a great honor from God and before God. I don't know what the future holds for our nation, but whatever comes, we certainly must not back down. We must not compromise the gospel, whether in our own lives or in the church. You do not want the favor of the world. If the world loves you, be alarmed. The world crucified Christ. If the world loves us, we must be doing something wrong. Standing for Christ may make you popular, unpopular, unliked. May mean you're attacked verbally. It may mean you're attacked even physically. But stand for Christ, we must, because in doing so, we'll please our Father, and in doing so, we will maintain a faithful witness to Christ in the world. Let's pray. Father, we. We know the reality of persecution at a certain level. And Father, we know that we have brothers and sisters in the world to this day, uh, maybe even this day, who are suffering. Perhaps they were meeting in the name of Jesus and were found out and were arrested. Father, we don't know, but we do know that people suffer for the sake of Jesus. And Father, while we don't pray for that, while we don't look for that, We pray that we would be prepared for that. And, Father, we pray that our witness would be bold enough and obvious enough and evident enough, both as families and as a church, that the world would see it. And, Father, however they might respond to it, that you would give us grace to be Christ-like and grace to bear a faithful witness to Jesus, Lord, that some of them perhaps might be saved. And we ask it for the name of Jesus, for his glory. Amen.